Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. As we can uh, continue on our study of Christ's likeness, we remember we talked about coming up with some of the essentials to the, our goal of Philippians 3 and verse 10 is my determined purpose is to become more Christ-like. And Philippians 3.10 is what our goal has been, and so we've looked at some of the different ones. And today I'd like to cover the part of prayer. And prayer covers the other studies we've looked at so far. You have the one, you remember we talked about the prayer of you know, salvation. Obviously, to start, become more like Christ, be conformed. Prayer has to do with intimacy, too. How do you draw closer to the Lord if you aren't spending time in prayer? You also you think about the simplicity. Well, how do you know what to get rid of the clutter in your life if you're not talking to Him? you got to know what to get rid of. You have to talk to Him. The, we talked about the slowing down and, and just listening to Him with silent solitude. Again, that's dealing with prayer. Hard one we had last week is surrender, releasing our grip. What do we get rid of? Desiring His will. But I like to look at prayer because I think it's really important. But I think in the American church it's one of the things we don't do. Uh, we don't do it. It's basically a last resort. That's what it comes down to. When we think about it, the uh, in Luke 22, it's not the passage we're going to look at, but remember in Luke 22 in verse 43 when Jesus is in the, you know, basically he's praying if you remember and he said that he asked the Lord to take this cup from me but yet not my will but thine be done. And I think it's important when you look at it prayer is connecting ourselves to God and seeking his will and understanding it. So I want to also think about what prayer is not. What prayer is not. It's not a bargaining or pleading. I always get a kick out of watching football games and you see people in the stands. You ever see them? Their eyes are closed and you know, they're praying and they're you know, <laughs> doing all this stuff. Uh, you see that in 1 Kings 18. You remember when you had the people were coming and the false prophets and so of Baal and they're trying to bargain and plead and cut themselves and do all kinds of stuff. Uh, but that's not what prayer is. If we do, by the way, make a vow, we need to make sure we keep it. Scripture tells you you're not obligated to make a vow, but if you do make a vow, then keep it. One thing you have Don Eaton made the vow, and 50 years later, still keeping it. When uh, our neighbor Onus, Korean War, made a vow, and God got him out of it, and he's 50 years later, he's still keeping the vow. But that's not what prayer is. But if we do make a vow, make sure we keep it. Second thing, prayer is not, it's not a get rich scheme. We have any of that being taught on the radio today? The way it comes from, I heard one of the main speakers on that, and I heard him even make the statement, which is true. If you look at it, uh, God, ask anything in my name and I'll give it. That's in the imperative tense. The imperative tense is the command tense. So his translation was, God is commanding me to command him to give me things. What it also is, is a lesser to a greater like a dog before his master. 
you can translate the imperative tense as begging. And that's what it is. It's not just all of a sudden that I can claim it. I can, he's obligated to give it to me and all the rest of this. Prayer is not viewing God as a gene. You know, we rub the little bottle and we get these things, but we only get so many, so we have to really think of which ones we want. Only come to Him on certain things and we're going to run out after two or three. He's not a genie. Prayer is also a meaningless repetition. You have throughout the Old Testament, the false prophets just saying the same thing over uh, different things, and we can easily get caught up in the same thing. Uh, we teach uh, the kids different things, prayers to say, but is it a meaningless repetition? Or is it something we're really pouring out our heart? It's not just meaningless repetition. Uh, and I think it's important uh, for us to remember. So that's what prayer is not. I think it's important then what is prayer. Look over in Philippians chapter 4 and we'll look at a few passages. And you know it, it I don't even have to, uh, you'll know it even without even turning to it. But let me give you a definition of prayer. And I'm sure you'll have a better one. But prayer is personal conversion, a conversation with God, expressing our attitude of thankfulness as well as expressing our concerns to Him, and listening to gain His perspective. What part do we usually leave off? We often leave off thankfulness, and we also don't try to gain His perspective. And I think it's important for us that we present concerns to Him, we also have thankfulness. We also are trying to gain what he's wanting us to learn or whatever it might be. And so I think it's important. Some distinctions, though. Notice here, then you have in verse 6 of chapter 4, be anxious for what? But in everything. Isn't that what it says? Everything. And so I think it's important for us to see that. Notice the word there for petition. Petition... It's a Greek word meaning requesting an answer to a specific need. A good example of that, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember, Paul had the thorn in the flesh, and he was very specific in asking God to take it away. So you have very specific needs that you have, and you're asking God for those specific needs. The second thing he says was thanksgiving. How many of us have an attitude of thanksgiving when we go to God? Or is it only an attitude of thanksgiving when everything's going well? And I think it's important. A good example of that is in Daniel chapter 6. They had just told, signed, if anybody worships a false god, or that they are wanting to do what? Throw them into the lion's den? And what did Daniel do? He opened the window like he always did. He faces Jerusalem and he prays three times a day like he always had. And it says, with thankfulness. What would you be thanking the Lord knowing that people are watching you and they're going to come get you and throw you in the lion's den? Is there always something that we can be thankful for? And so I think it's important. We always have something to be thankful for. Uh, you also notice it still uses the word request. That's a Greek word meaning speaking of definite and specific things we ask for. How many of us get into some real generic prayer requests? Lord, bless all the missionaries in the world. It's pretty generic, isn't it? Wouldn't, if you're a missionary, would you like them to pray for you specifically? 
So we all need to know people and know what it is. And then, so we want people to pray for us. We likewise need to be specific as much as what we can. I think that since so you notice then what prayer is, that personal conversation, thankfulness, and we're then give, presenting our needs, but then we're also wanting to know God's discernment. And Paul was, you know, it's interesting in the Second Corinthians 12, he did what? When the Lord said no, after three times, and he was very clear, God said no, and I'm not saying no because it'll keep you humble, Paul said what? I'll accept that answer, and I want to be like you, and if this, take this away, will make me pride, pride comes in, and that's not like you, therefore I'd rather be weak, with the thorn in the flesh, then get rid of it and be proudful. How many of us feel that way? And that's important for us to think about. Notice the desire. I think it's interesting. I'll just quote it to you. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, the, uh, who can know the mind of Christ? And then it ends with, we have the mind of Christ. How many of us realize we have the mind of Christ? If you put that with last week's verse of Philippians 2 and verse 5, have this attitude in you which is also in Christ Jesus, the word attitude is like-mindedness. So if I want to be like Christ, I need to have a mind like Christ. And what was Christ's mind? Lord, take the cup from me, but what? Not mine. Lord, I'm going to be come to this earth for the purpose of dying on the cross. I want to do your will. That's what's important in Romans 8 and verse 26 was to tell you, we don't know how to pray as we should, so who intercedes for us? The Holy Spirit. That's why we go to the Lord in prayer. We present our needs and everything else, but then we want to get the discernment. Because if God's will is for me not to get what I'm asking for, then I need to find out and be shown that's not His will, so I don't keep praying for it. And I think it's important for us to see that. Well, the question you can ask yourself, if you think about it, when I pray, do I desire God's will? You know, that, that's, you know, I think a lot of times we really don't. We have a list and we have what we want, and He's supposed to then get on board and see that our will is really better than His. This is what it needs to be, and this is what we have. So I think that's one thing to be thinking about what our prayer is. <clears throat> you, you see that. What about what place does prayer have? We saw what prayer is. Look over in First Timothy chapter two. Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's writing to him, and he just talks about <clears throat> being in uh, people who have opposed him and so on. First Timothy chapter two. Notice in verse 1. First of all, would you say that means priority? Verse 1. First of all, top priority, I urge you that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. How many of us make prayer a top priority? In our own practice, we have in the American church, our church, any all of them for the most part, we have in American church, we're so limited on our time. 
so music has a priority in our service. The message has a priority. But how much priority does prayer have on our service? How much time do we spend in prayer in a service? How many times do people are willing to pray in a service? And I challenge you really to stop and think about it. Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit, they're waiting. It says they met in the upper room. They were praying. Chapter 2, they were praying. Chapter 4, they're praying. Chapter 6, they're praying. They are praying constantly. In fact, in chapter 6, remember they said we cannot wait on the widows because we have to be teaching the Word of God and praying. It's possibly the problem we have, one of our major problems in the American church is a lack of prayer. And I would say yes. Because we are so busy. We say it's important, but we don't want to practice it. Only when what? When all else fails? Right. And he's telling us the number one priority to start with is prayer. So I think it's important you look at the perspective, the priority, but if you also remember in Philippians, which we read in 4 6, it says, in what? Everything. How do we pray only if it's important? What determines something that's important? How many times were things seemed minor but later became major? And some things we thought were major or minor. What does it tell us in First Thessalonians chapter, or First Timothy rather, chapter five and verse seventeen? Pray without ceasing. Every situation, we pray. And you can have the long prayers. A good example of that would be in the book of Nehemiah. He prays and he has a long prayer in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he gets called before the king and he said he prayed. So if I called Michelle and she had to come up forward to me and walked up front and she prayed, what kind of prayer do you think she's going to have from that seat to when she gets here? <coughs> That's the same thing. There's times for long prayers. There's a time for the short, silent prayer. And exactly what you find in Nehemiah chapter 2. And you look at the man of Nehemiah, you find him, every situation he's in, he's in prayer. Why was the wall built and everything else? One of the major factors was because of his prayers as a leader. So when you think about that, what priority, do, what place does it have? Is it a priority? And is it perpetual? And I think we can ask that place, what place does prayer have in my life? Over this last week, look at every day, and what place did prayer have? You think about it. How many of us ate regularly? How many of us slept regularly? And how many of us prayed regularly? And then what were we praying for? I think it's interesting when you look at it. So we have what prayer is. It's our conversation with the Lord and an attitude of thankfulness and then we're presenting our needs where we're wanting His will. We also have the place of prayer. Is it really a priority? Is it number one? I'm going to do it. Because I want to be on board with what God wants. Otherwise, I'm really doing what? Am I not fighting the Lord? I'm wanting to go one way and he's wanting to take me another way. And I think it's important. 
But well, who's our best example? We want to be Christ-like, right? So I want to challenge you. Then I was asked, or actually I wasn't even asked. I, uh, a lot of you have a, the uh, Rowry study book. 47 years ago or so, I bought a Rowry study book. And I was reading the introduction of the book of Luke. And if you look at it, it says, you find Jesus praying a lot. I thought, well, I wonder what that's like. Why do you find Jesus praying more in the book of Luke than any of the other Gospels? Why? What's the theme? Matthew's theme presents Jesus as king. If he's going to be the king of the Jews, you have to have genealogy. goes back to Abraham. Mark 10.45 presents Jesus as a servant. Key verses 10.45. He came to see uh, to, to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You don't need genealogy if you're a servant. There isn't any in Mark. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 presents Christ as a son of man. As a man, he needs prayer. That's why you find more prayer in the book of Luke than any other place. So if I want to be like Christ, then why don't I look at his prayer life? So let's just look at a few of them. And uh, every time I look at it, there's always another one that jumps out at me. But let's just look at a few of them. We'll start in Luke, and we'll just kind of go through some of them. Look in Luke chapter 3. The first time we find him praying. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. And I challenge you to go back through this on your own. Just start reading through it. And you have the baptism. Jesus is there, and John the Baptist is baptizing. And notice in verse 21, Now it came about, this is chapter 3, 21, Now it came about when all the people were baptized, that Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, the heaven opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. Where is he? When's he praying? You think about it. John the Baptist just baptizes Jesus. He's coming out of the water and you find Jesus praying. No conflict. Everything's going well. Total obedience, doing exactly what he ought to be doing. And you find him praying. How many of us pray when everything's going great? Jesus does. Everything is going on. By the way, too, with Polly, what kind of prayer was it? How many people do you think heard the prayer? You can pray out loud. You can also pray within your spirit. Do it. Go to chapter 5. Verse 12 down to 15, you'll notice they're bringing people from all over the place for him to heal. He's healing people everywhere. In chapter 16, he's healing again. So things are going really well, and everybody's bringing people to healing, for him to heal. But what about verse 16? In between all this busy stuff that he's doing, what does it say? He would often slip away to the wilderness to what? pray who asked him to who told him to why did he 
Well, those are the same things. We're so busy in our lives too. Most of us say we're too busy to do what? To pray. He made it a point, even in the middle of everything. By the way, in the book of Luke, he has not had one conflict yet. Everything's going well. You don't get a conflict till the next chapter. Things are going well. He's healing people. He's wanting to be obedient to the Lord. Heavenly Father, He slips away often. Be by Himself. Solitude. Remember we looked a couple weeks ago? Service. Solitude. Back to service. Exact same thing you have here. Go to chapter 6. First major conflict happens in verse 6. It's a big conflict that they have and they get all upset with Him. With with Jesus, he does it on the Sabbath. He also, what happens then when you look in verse 13, what does he do? So, major conflict happens, and in verse 13, he does what? He has a lot more than 12 apostles, disciples, but he selects the 12. So, think about it. Jesus prays all night. To the Father in a lonely place after a major conflict. Now, how many of us pray after a major conflict? How many of us pray before a major decision? You want to be like Jesus, that's what He's doing. But let me ask you, you know, if you're about to make a very major and huge decision, most of us would say what? And rightfully so, I need plenty of rest to make a good decision tomorrow. How many of us would say, I'm going to stay up all night praying to make the right decision? And we do need rest, but there's also a time when we need prayer. It's also interesting, what tribe is Jesus of? Judah? Did Jesus go directly to the Father in prayer? So He didn't have to go through the tribe of Levi, did He? These are all things to remember if we're going to be like Christ. Pray after a major conflict. Pray before a major decision. Go directly to Him in prayer. Pray all night. Pray in a lonely place. Things are going well. Things aren't going well. I mean, it's just amazing when you start looking at it. Go over to chapter 9. If you haven't been asked this by your kids or grandkids, you will. Chapter 9 and verse 16, you find him doing this when he feeds the 4,000. You find him when he feeds the 5,000. Before he fed him, what did he do in verse 16? Pray. You ever wonder why do you pray before you eat and not afterward? How much to say, I'm going to eat it first and see how it tastes, then I'll eat it. You know, that's logical. Jesus prays before. You want to know why do you pray before? Jesus is thankful for the food that God has given. We should be thankful for what He's given us. So when people ask you, why do you pray? Here's your answer. I want to be like Christ. He thanked the Lord for what God, the Lord provided for the people and for Himself, and I want to be the same one. A little bit later on in 9, what about when you get to verse 18? It's interesting. 
came up while he was praying alone and the disciples were with him. How do you pray alone when the disciples are with you? Can I pray alone right now in this room with all of you here? So why would Jesus pray alone with his disciples there? How many times do you do your kids or grandkids ever see you praying? Or is it only in the privacy of your own room? So the reason I say that is because of chapter 11 and verse 1. We can, we'll get to it in a minute. But notice then you find Jesus, He's praying in the presence of His disciples. And He does this repeatedly. How did Judas know where to find Jesus at Gethsemane? It was a habit. He went to a lonely place and He went there regularly and Judas knew He would be there because it was His habit. How many of us have a certain time that we go to the Lord in prayer as regularly as we can and people know, family, everybody else knows, at 9 o'clock, this is where they're going to be. This is what they're doing. Is it because our kids that never see us pray that maybe prayer is not as important because they have never seen it important to us? Even though it is, they may never have seen it. What do you have when you get to 28 and 29? Eight days afterward, he takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain to pray, and you have the transfiguration. He's communing with the Father, and they fall asleep, and they wake up, and he is his true glory is shown before them. If you think about it, he's communing with the Father. Whether he's being seen or he's not being seen, he wants his disciples with him so they can see the importance of prayer. And how many of us are wanting people to see the importance? The reason I say that, look in chapter 11, and we'll go back to 21 in a minute, but chapter 11, verse 1 of Luke. Came about while he was praying in a certain place, and after he's finished, what do the disciples do? Lord, teach us to pray. Do you realize that is the one and only question the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them on? Never asked them to teach how to witness. Never asked to teach them how to make a living. Only thing they asked Jesus of was, how do I pray like you do? How important was prayer to Jesus? They could see it. That's why you have the model prayer and look at all the parts that are in there. If I want to be like Christ, this is what I want in my prayers. It was so important. They saw it and they wanted it. Look at his prayers. Look at ours. You'll find the same things that are in the book of Nehemiah when he prayed long prayer. Same thing you'll find in Daniel's prayer when he prays in chapter 9. You'll find the exact same things. So I think it's interesting how many of us would compare our prayer life to his. Is it possible we're not having the power because we're not praying like He did? What about in, if you go back just to chapter 10 for a moment, notice in verse 21. That's interesting. They just come back. He sent the 70 out. He sent them out and they come back and they're rejoicing. And, 
in 21 about how the Lord, they led people to the Lord, they cast out demons. Notice Jesus' response in 21. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you rejoice greatly in the Holy Spirit? I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou dost not hide these things from the wise, intelligent, dost reveal them to babe. Yes, Father, for thus it is well-pleasing in thy sight. They come back with the reports of what took place in their ministry, and immediately it sends Jesus into what? A time of what? Praise. They can only do that with the power of the Holy Spirit and the Lord, the Father, helping them. When people tell us the things, does we immediately respond in praise? Or how many of us get upset because their their ministry is really going well and ours isn't? Jesus sent them out, they come back with what's going on, and he immediately stops and he thanks the Lord and he's praising for what the Father did. And what should we do? The exact same thing. And you go to another one. What about, we saw the importance in the teaching in chapter 11. Look over in uh, Luke 22. And Jesus is uh, getting ready to go to the garden and he's already told them what's going to happen. He's going to be arrested and he's going to be, all these things are going to take place. He'll be killed. And uh, notice what he does in 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brother. If you're about to be go through the death he went through, how of us would be praying for Peter? most of us and when he does when he does go off remember he tells them to pray for themselves most of us will be telling what pray for me and everything else Jesus is concerned enough no matter how bad the situation that he is in he is praying for Peter and for his other disciples how many of us are praying for others no matter how bad it is for us you do the same thing in chapter 22. You notice in 39, it's interesting. It says he proceeded as was his custom, his practice to the Mount of Olives. So notice that's how he knew where he was to find him. And he tells them to pray that they don't enter into temptation. Most of us would have been saying what? Pray for me. He's asking them to pray for themselves. He then goes a, a stone throw away so they could see him praying. And that's when he then asked, uh, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine be done. Was he honest with the Father? But he desired the Father's will. I think it's important for us to think about that. We're wanting to be like Christ. Are we doing the same thing? Do we want others to be praying for their walk with the Lord? But then we also want the Father's will in our you go, you know, a couple others, you know, it's real well in 23, you have in verse uh, 34, when they're crucifying you, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What would your prayer be? Father, zap them, right? That's the same thing you find in the book of Acts with Stephen when he was being stoned. 
How could Stephen do it? The previous chapter said because Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and he was controlled by it. Only way we're going to be like Christ is if the Holy Spirit is controlling us and we're praying like we should. What about in 46? Jesus says in a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I'm submitting to what? Your will. And the death and the cross. That's why it said no one took his life, he gave his life. How many of us are willing to say, Lord, this is, I'm willing to give you my life? So you think about it, if I want to be like Christ, do I need to be praying like him? And I think all we do is just go read through it. You know, like I said, we just simply went through this real quick. What is like? Do I need to pray before a major decision? Do I need to pray after a major conflict? Do I need to pray for others? Do I need to pray for myself? All those things are in the book of Luke. Pray before me. Jesus did all of them. And we need to do the exact same thing. And so I think about it. We know what prayer is. It should be a priority. And it should be in everything we should be praying. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.